Welcome to The Truth in His Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today, I have the privilege of chatting with American rapper, songwriter, educator, originally from White Plains, New York. Please welcome MC Bravado. Welcome to the podcast. No, thank you for having me, bro. I'm like excited. We scheduled this like so long ago, so there's some uh, anticipation here. I'm assuming this is going to be good. Yeah, this is going to be good. This is absolutely going to be good. Um, so I want to start off for those who are undipped and are familiar with you. Could you introduce yourself? Because like I said it, but I really like to get the introduction from the guest. Could you introduce yourself and what got you into rapping? Yeah, so I was born in White Plains, but I grew up in like Orange County, New York, um, which is like an hour north of New York City. Both of my parents are from the Bronx. My mom actually like basically grew up on Sedgwick. So there's like a lot of, I'm an Italian, Italian dude, but there's like a lot of that, those roots there with my cousins and like my cousins do heavy D and like it, you know, it's, it goes back for me, but like, basically, man, I would, if I had to trace it to one record, bro, I remember like, I remember hearing, um, killing me softly, you know, the Fuji's version and like just being entranced by like, her voice and the beat and then like Fuji live ready or not and all that. And like, I showed the Fuji's version um, of killing me softly to my dad. And my dad was like, he's a Roberta Flack fan, uh, fan. And he was just like, dude, this is even better than that. He was like blown. Cause you know, how like parents are like, this was better than in my day or whatever. And he was just like, no, nah, this is really good. And I just fell into that like really heavy, um that's what got me listening and then a good friend of mine um militant marksman he's like uh he started rapping when we were young like i got him listening then he started rhyming and then like i always had you know a proclivity towards like english and writing and like reading and like when he was rhyming i was like if he could rhyme i could rhyme you know like that kind of thing then he started recording on like a 12 track and uh, he's more of a producer now. He's done like full length albums for me, but he still rhymes a little bit. Um, but basically, man, I stayed engrossed in all of that. And like, I went to school um, in Salisbury, which was kind of a random choice. Like I went down there cause friends from home were there. They went to school there and like Talib Kweli was playing. And I was like, I want to catch this show. So I went and I had like the best time ever. And like, didn't know that that was like the best day ever at Salisbury. <laughs> and I based like, my whole college decision on that uh, and went and I was a literature major. So I stayed writing and, and all that. And then um, I moved back to New York and I got in some trouble for like drinking and driving. And um, my dad basically had the talk. He was kind of like, you know, you're at a fork. Like you could stay around here and you could like fuck with the people that you've been fucking with or you can make you know, a grown man decision because Salisbury was the only school that would take me for grad school. Mm -hmm. So I went back to Salisbury um, after enjoying tutoring and I started teaching. You know, I got my degree in um, secondary education for English. Um, The hip hop scene was kind of slow there. So I moved to Baltimore, dove right into teaching in Baltimore City. Um, And by 2018, things had picked up with music enough that you know, I wasn't going to be one of those teachers in Baltimore that didn't give the kids a hundred percent. So like, I felt really being pulled in that direction. I was like, I got to make a decision. I had the chance to jump on Vans Warped Tour that summer. So it was like the universe is telling you what to do. And, um, so I jumped in full time at that point. And then, 
um, circled back with Beats Not Bullets when I had the chance. It was actually at my old the school that I used to work at, Reach Partnership, well, Lake yeah. Clifton. And um, I dove in as an instructor and now I'm a program coordinator and we're just, we're trucking, man. So I'm very grateful to marry those worlds and, you know, meet some of my heroes. And, you know, it's, it's beautiful right now, for sure. That's great. And so, so with that, I have this, this question that's, I guess, kind of a segue because it's, you know, a few questions were answered in there. So we're going to be a little redundant, you know, we're going to go back into a few things, but thank you for, for giving me that, that rundown on how everything came together. So as an educator and as a, as a person that's in both worlds, it's, it's like your blade. It's, it's like you're, you're the day walker. You can walk in this side and in this side. So uh-huh. how, how, what would you say in, in which primary ways do those, those different realities, being a creator, being an artist while being an educator, how do they serve each other? Well, you could use, see, the thing is, I see it like I'm all for hip hop ed popping up everywhere. Right. Like I'm all, I'm all for it. But I think an advantage, like myself and my, my partner, Brandon Lackey, who's another former educator, we were both briefly at the same alternative school in the city. Um, I think an advantage we have is we have the, the actual pedagogy, like the, the knowledge of like the, the art of teaching. Sure. So when you take that and take a love for hip hop and an art, you can see how to fill in those blanks instructionally. You can see what skill that serves on both sides. You know, if I'm showing you how to do something with extended metaphors through a poem. Like you could apply that through your own writing and you also have a more thorough understanding of the skill. So like to make you a better songwriter, make you a better English student. Um, I even did little things like we would have battles and, you know, like we would be doing a book and you're this character, you're that (laughs) character. So like the kids got a lot of that, like jonesing each other energy out that way, but they weren't making fun of each other. They're making fun of the character. So it's not confrontational. Right. And it, the marriage is crazy, bro. Like it's just getting started. It's just like, we need to like make it a little bit more mainstream and, and get the arts funding where it needs to be in these schools to like inspire these kids properly and to show them that, you know, one hand can wash the other. Like yeah. I've, I've perfected a whole talk on that. I want to start hitting schools with it. Like, let me show you how you don't have to choose to be, you know, your, between your formal education, your career and your art, like think about what works for you. Look at that field and take that path. I didn't even do it intentionally. Like it, I did to stay in writing, but I, I never could have guessed that it would have worked out like this, you know? Um, so hopefully that answers your question. No, it, it did. And, and, it, and it brought back a memory, right? Like, uh, back in the day and when I was in high school, uh, you know, I went to city, so, you know, gang and, uh, <laughs> I, and this shows you the degree of nerdness, right. That was going on. I was in this advanced like writing class and we were covering like some of the classics. So, we were doing Beowulf, Grendel, all of that stuff. Macbeth came up and it was this one girl in there was a model. And this one dude, he did like this DJ Clue-esque song that was talking about one of the books. So me, I'm like, hell no. How, how dare you get attention? I want attention. And I was, I was rapping a little bit and writing a bit at the time. So I did my own freestyle in, in the character of uh, Macbeth. That's fire. And I just remember the uh, teacher, She this was like, Macbeth was her lane, and she was like from Boston. She was just like, oh, let's play that. I was like, no, this is going to embarrass the hell out of me. <laughs> and, the, and the girl thought I was cute because I was in character as Murder Mac. And it was, I mean, we're talking like 2001, my guy. So it, it, it's wild. But, I love uh, that, Murder Mac. Yeah, but but I think, you know, kind of what you were describing with it, that is the 2.0 version of it. Like, 
you know, we had a teacher that was really like, no, hell yeah, I want to foster you guys creativity. And then having someone who is like, you're, you're doing it and you are like really viewing yourself and presenting yourself as an instructor and a, and a person that's um, really for, for the kids and for them getting, getting what they need and to be creative. It's just like, let's marry these things together in a very intentional way. It makes sense. Yeah. I'm happy to hear that. Cause yeah, it's not like when I say clearly, like it's not just starting, but it's the movement is starting to really pick up some steam. Now you see it like more popular MCs, like diving into these classes and these instructional roles. I mean, I feel like ninth wonder really kind of paved the way in a lot of ways with that, just like that formal tie there. And, yeah. and when I was just at South by EDU, like, man, that was the ultimate manifestation of that because I did a the panel on the showcase with Wordsworth and with Jay Rawls, who, as you know, produced for Black Star, yeah. you know, Talib. So for that educational, like universe circular thing to happen blew my mind. But like he DJed my set. Like one of my students came up down to Texas and like came on stage with me, one of my graduates from Beats Not Bullets. And like our 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 founder, you know, Ogun, shouts to him, like he's been carrying this for six years. Like he came down and like got to receive that community service award with us that the festival gave us, which for a festival of that scale is like, you know, mm-hmm. it's insane. And we, we went then like me words and Rawls and, and Brandon, you know, went to the hotel room and words is like rhyming on this record for me that Rawls produced. And I was like, I like this other beat. And he's like, Oh yeah, you could have, you know, get that one. So I was like, this is like, just pinch me. Like I can't, <laughs> Lyricist Lounge really like Wordsworth and Lyricist Lounge are some of the earliest, like that was when I was watching that. I was like, okay, there's another level to this. This yes. is like, these dudes are different, different. And I was like, you got to get better. <laughs> so creatively, right. What attracts you and, and what repels you? Cause you're seeing it at, at various levels, right? Um, what attracts you, what uh, repels you? And um, why is it important to be in a company of other creatives? Um, what attracts me is people's intentions. Like if I know you're a student of this and you love this and you're doing it because like, this is your, like, I do this instead of hitting a heavy bag, you know, like this is my, this is my like cathartic, you know, realm. And it means a lot to me. And I study the the technique and like, I, I know who came before me and like, you know, that segues right into that's what attracts me to it. The cultural element, the people that are immersed in it. Um, what repels me is I hate being old, you know, the old guy on the soapbox, but it's like so much of these dudes today are good at social media. They're not good at rapping, you know, like they're, they're trash and you're on lot. You can't, you're on flex or you're on like one of these platforms and you can't freestyle. Mm-hmm. Like you can't rap, give that seat to somebody who can like, it's like beat. It's like, yeah, I, I, this is my favorite analogy. We're at Rucker Park and people are shooting from half court, like doing crazy, like dribbling stuff, Tomahawk, Duncan. And there's like 50 people there across the street. There's a stadium sold out, you know, all the bells and whistles, the theatrics, the lights. And these dudes are doing like standing 360s on Nerf hoops. You know, it's like <laughs> one's a samurai and one's like a white belt. And like, how is that not more spoken on? They, yeah. they don't, they don't belong in the city. Call it something else. Like that's not hip hop to me. And I, I don't, I don't fuck with it. I don't condone it. That can make me sound old or, or bitter or whatever, but like, I'm, I'm not going to pretend that I like it. I just, I just don't. 
I, I remember this point where you have some of these people where you can't tell, like it's, it's almost this thing of you can't tell whether they can rap because you're right. You know, when it's an opportunity for you to rap, it's, oh, I'm a rock star. It's like, you're not that either. Uh, like, why should I like rock with you or what have you? And I've noticed this years ago and, you know, we're probably about the same age. And I, I just remember, I, I've been thinking about writing this think piece about like 2010. I feel like that's when a lot of things shifted. And if you start looking at that class of rappers that came out in 2010, that it was kind of like this last great, like really great class of rappers and where they're at. Like I include Kendrick in that class. I include like Dom Kennedy and a, a multitude of different guys who even J Cole to a degree who are doing like different things. There are different spaces, like different places in their career and then yeah. what's come after, you're not getting that. It's almost like a draft class. It's like you're not getting that same degree of talent that's been able to sell a certain amount of records and still be able to progress creatively versus just making some goofy pop TikTok kind of thing. And granted, it's going to make you sound old, but it's a, it's a valid thing. And it's being protective of what that may mean to you as, as a person that's in that field and in that, that sector, but also as a person that is a fan of it. I agree with you wholeheartedly. And I include guys like, like Mickey Fax, Blue, like Asher Ross, like in that, yeah. in that, you know, lane, but like, you're right. I would, I would agree with you that that was kind of like the point. And I look at it like, you know, you've heard of like the idea of that American idolization of society where like everyone is a star at something. I believe that. Right. But sure. not everyone's a star at being a musician or being a rapper. So it comes down to like, that that kind of like attitude and entitlement of like oh i want to do this and i have the attention so i'm going to do it and, and that's on the artist end like whatever we need do, need to do to make me look the part whether i got to do karaoke or or whatever else and then beyond that like think about it from a listener's perspective cuz those fans they don't necessarily want to ingest art they want to be seen ingesting art Mm-hmm. They're not they're not filming the stage like quietly. They're filming themselves jumping up and down, yelling along with this idiot. Mm-hmm. So like it's <laughs> it's the mindset of the of the fan. It's that, yeah, it is that like look what I'm doing. It's not like, wow, look at this artist who's really mastered their craft. Like, yeah. whereas if you go to a Cole or a Kendrick show, look at the difference in the disposition and the stuff, like mm-hmm. how it's even being recorded by the people that are there. You know, I'm not saying that doesn't happen there, but you're talking like a 10 to 90 swap in those Absolutely. cases, right? Absolutely. So I think that's a very real thing. And I don't know how we necessarily, uh, you know, rectify it, to be honest. I mean, I think everything's cyclical. Like, I think that aficionado rap, I've talked to people about this, but like the Griselda lane and like, that's kind of opening up more of like, we're fucking, we're rapping, rapping again, you know, yeah. like, so I think it's coming, yeah. but I don't know. It's tough to to get a handle on. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree with that. So I got two more, two more real questions and then I got a couple rapid fire questions and then we'll be done here. Uh, I like to call them real questions because they, they sound kind of funny. Uh, (laughs) So, so um, if you will, and and Howard briefly can put it, because I know everyone has their process. So walk me through what your process in songwriting looks like and ultimately what do you want people to take away from your music? You know, cause you're, you're out there, you know, you're, you're doing your thing. I appreciate that. Um, in terms of songwriting, I kind of have two lanes. Um, the one is the, is kind of the jigsaw puzzle where I've gotten more organized with it, but like I'll take now it's in my phone, you know, like 
te- a decade ago, I would slap myself for this because I'm on the notebook or I'm like, I'm going, I'm not reading shit off the, the phone in the studio ever and blah, blah, blah. I was on that. But like, I've gotten it down to where I got my delivery where it needs to be and I can do it. But um, I, I will take an idea and I'll title the note in accordance with the given idea. And then I will um, just hit that idea over and over again with, um, you know, more lines and kind of like take the best of those lines and, and place them together. Um, I know both Nas and M kind of write that way as well. Um, I've been trying to get it more organized conceptually and then I just hit those notes when I have an idea of what fits a given concept. And sometimes it'll slow cook over six months, a year, or sometimes like if it's a topic, I might throw the beat on it. I might just pour out, yep. you know, um, that's why I enjoy doing features, I guess in a way. Cause it's like no disrespect to whoever I do features for, but I, t- I approach it. Like I approach a conceptual song that I just let flow out. Like I just have fun writing the bars and sometimes people, and that's how I do quote unquote mixtape stuff too. Yep. Like I just let it fly over whatever beat and like my brother, for example, like loves mixtape me. He he's like it's more of a like a Wayne-ish, like just getting busy and like not thinking about it too much on the technical side. So like, yeah, that's really my process. If it's a if it's a feature or a concept, I might let the beat ride for a while and flush it out, or I might slow cook it. It kind of depends on the joint um yeah. and my mood. And and then I get it to fit to the beat later. But um that's that's the essence, I would say overall. I also enjoy like freestyling in the car yeah. if i'm going somewhere a to keep that blade sharp and b like to um come up sometimes you come up with ideas when you freestyle like you just like get um something you wouldn't otherwise have thought of that comes from a different part of your brain so like i like i like that too so i guess i'm kind of all over the place with my process <laughs> but it but it's improv though a little bit where you're you're there you're just going i was like okay yeah that works that works really well i need to I need to tap into that a little bit more <laughs> dude 100 percent. yeah even if it's like you light up a little bit and um and i'll do that in bed, like i'll be in bed or whatever winding down i'll light up a little bit and I, that's a different create you know that yeah. that lights up different synapses than like you know when you're totally clear too same if you have a couple drinks but um typically i'm clear-headed sober doing the notes thing probably most often yeah yeah i i do that with uh with coming up with questions and what have you like i, I might be listening to something robert green related or, or something that's just really expanding how i think of things and i'm like all right that's great how would how would a rapper talk about that? How would an educator talk about that? How how would someone answer this question? And I try to frame it in the different categories in terms of the the writing and the structuring process for doing interviews. You don't want to ask, quote unquote, a bad question. You don't want to ask kind of the same question. You might want to, if you ask, if you're aiming for the same sort of answer, but you might ask it in a different way, that can give you a multitude of different answers, even from people in the, that have similar backgrounds. That's no. And I have to say like, um, the, I can tell, like you, you really care about your craft on, on your side of the table. It's very appreciated because yeah, you can imagine how many times I've gotten. uh, Tell me about rap. (laughs) Yeah. Like, Oh boy. Just show me the index card. Yeah, it's, 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 it's pod decks. They have this thing. It's just like, Oh, here's some questions. And each month we come up with new ones. Uh, so, and what what would you say that key thing is you want people to like take away from from your music or what have you like that that key thing? Um, just someone who like 
knowing that I care about this culture and this craft and, and knowing that somebody who's like, wow, his versatility surprises me. Cause I do some stuff kind of, you'll see there's one project I'm kind of sitting on that's a little more contemporary in some ways. And, um, but I think I do it really well. And it's, you know, somebody who gave 110% nuance, repeated listens, mm-hmm. like, you know, dig for the gems, like, you know, put the time in, like I put the time in. That's my ideal listener is someone who's, who's dedicated in their own right. Cause that's a craft review is a craft interview is a craft. Like I'm honestly, I honestly do it for you guys and for deep thinkers. And, um, but ultimately above all else, like, yeah, I want people to be like, he's probably one of the best doing it in terms of his versatility and, and his writing. And, he, he genuinely cares about this, this culture. Cause at the end of the day, like despite the Bronx stock and the New York upper, whatever you want to call it, I still do like ultimately Italian or not, you know, I am a white dude at the end of the day and yeah. I am a guest here. So I take that very seriously. And, um, you know, I want to be a quality one. <laughs> that's, that's really good. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, sure. so now, now that we got all the good stuff out of the way and all of the goodwill that I've established with talking to you in the last like oh, half boy. an hour or so, now I'm going to piss it all away. It's just you're just going to get ridiculous. So I hope you're ready. Uh, all right. So rapid fire. Um, and we're going to try to hit these as briefly as possible. Um, what's your favorite book? My favorite book, probably The Old Man in the Sea um, yeah. by Hemingway. I love the idea that he wrote it with the intention of you reading it in one sitting. There's There's no chapters or breaks. It's like for you to feel the exhaustion that this character is going through. And you can read it in one sitting at the beach in a couple hours. Um, novella technically. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll give, uh, I'll give it to, to that. Uh, what is your greatest extravagance? Like, you know, some people go with sneakers. Some people like, look, man, I spent a lot of money on hats. What is your, your thing? Do you like veterinary bills to take care of my, my cat? <laughs> Do you have Dude, I'm like a cat doctor. Like, uh, I'll give you this because this is like a, just Love a funny it. random. It's not funny. It's a tangent. But like my my ex and I were leaving the movies and this cat was outside, like in the movies by the movie theater and it was cold and snowy. So we named her Aria, like the Game of Thrones character, the little wandering warrior in the cold. Yeah. She comes up to us. Um, we wound up keeping her. Her and I break up. She has a dog. Aria was daddy's girl. She comes with me. Um, but she developed like um, IBD. I had her on like, I was like, putting her food through a feeding tube until they knew what was going on. She like almost passed. This is like a year and a half ago gets through that feline asthma. So every other day an inhaler steroids in the morning and evening, every 48. And then she has kidney disease, which I've taken from a stage three to a stage one by giving her subcutaneous fluids myself every 48 hours with the needle. Wow. So that's what I spend the most money on for sure. I don't really have like, I like, I like getting, you know, uh, hammered with my, my friends every now and again and going out, but like, I don't do it like that anymore. I don't really vacation. I don't really do much with the clothes, pretty much invest in myself, drink water, take care of my cat, mind my business. So, <laughs> I mean, as, as a person that has, uh, one of these cats, like my, my cat has FIV. So, and he was a rescue and it's just like, all right, man, I'm spending a lot of money on great food or what have you, but you know, it was one of those things of when I got him, he was a stray and it's like, yeah, he's not going to live long. And I've had him for eight years. So it's just like, it's been going well. Thank God, man. And I, I hope that continues to be. And that's the thing. Same with Aria, you know, like, it's like, they'll tell you these things, but then somebody else will tell you the specialist is like, dude, like, these are just, 
numbers, projections, whatever, like boom, 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 variable, take good care of her, give her the special diet, give her lots of love. And you'd be very surprised. And, you know, thank God she's doing well too. So I hope those trends continue and good on you for doing that too. Thanks. Absolutely. So I got, I got three more for you. Um, uh, finish this line since, since your, your, your person has moved into to Baltimore. So Baltimore is, give, give me what that is for you. Those, those Google notifications drive me nuts. I do not need the sound. Sorry, I came in. <laughs> That's all good. <laughs> uh, uh, Baltimore is a lot more beautiful and nuanced um, than people are aware of. I think culturally, people look at, or more from the pop culture lexicon, they look and they see all the why or, or, oh, this or that. And like, yeah, having taught in some rough areas, I'm not going to say there aren't war zones in this city. There are, but like, but like uh, Ogun who runs Beats Not Bullets, like he's part of that ceasefire initiative, right? And like, mm-hmm. ultimately this is a city who like takes a hell of a lot of pride in its people and like loves its city. Like the amount of pride is is as high as I've ever seen in any city. It's as blue collar, as tough, and as proud as anywhere I've ever been. So I am a proud transplant, and I rep Baltimore the same way I rep New York, and I I always will. So love to hear it. Okay, this is this is a food one. Uh, onion rings or French fries? That's tough, but I got to go onion rings. What about you? Uh, I'm a French fry guy, and we've had a really you know, like me and my partner and my girl. We had a really strong debate about French fries. It's like out of the 15 different types of French fries, and she's she's from Brooklyn, and we always kind of go back and forth about <laughs> what to get. And she's like, "Look, now if it's between French fries and onion rings, there's always onion rings. You can really get a good onion ring, but if you get them, it's just like that's your thing." And I was like, "Well, what about tater tots?" She's like, "Look, let's let's not get political now. You know, <laughs> that's where we were at." Um. So this is the last one I got for you, um, and I and I think that 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 part of that English background I was hearing in there, and being a, being a dude that's that's well read as well. Um, what do you believe to be the most powerful word in the English language? Holy schnikes! Um, I'm not going to go too highbrow here. I'm just okay. going to say belief. Huh. Yeah, because I'll tell you like this. I have an anecdote for this. I was there was a show in New York that I really wanted to get on. Um, on cue was playing and on cue is like super underrated. He had a project executive produced by just blaze years ago, just blaze wound up being on the show, but like I'm sitting there and I'm hitting the promoter. Cause I happened to be in New York for that time. And I was like, Oh, I want, I want to be an opener. And the guy told me, who's a friend of mine. Now he told me, um, well, the show is, is full. Mm-hmm. So I told my mom, I was like, cause she's sitting right there. And she, my mom is just battle tested. She's as tough as it gets uh, for a variety of reasons. And um, she goes, well, why are you accepting that? And I was like, okay. So (laughs) I I messaged him back and I was like, well, what's it going to take? Yeah. And he said, basically, you got to buy in and blah, blah, blah. And it was tough. And then I wound up outselling all of the openers, despite being added like a few days before the show forming a relationship with on cue, forming a relationship with that promoter who still to this day, shout out Cato, like we still work together and it comes down to belief. You know, I say, I don't Absolutely. take, the only place I take no for an answer is in the bedroom, bro. Like I'll, I'll respect <laughs> the boundary there. But like in terms of like pushing this dream or like what I could do for Beats Not Bullets or the people I care about, like 
it comes down to belief. It truly, I know it's the corniest thing. People say, oh, I see you've boom, boom, boom. Like, what's your secret? There's no secret. There's no shortcut. There's no investor in my case. There is constant belief and pushing and perseverance and hitting that brick wall over and over and over again, knowing you're eventually going to break through. I, every time somebody quits, you, you're stepping up. At that moment you're about to quit, somebody else quit. Yeah. So like, keep that at the forefront of your mind and just don't. It's that 85, man. We're, we're from the same year, my guys. That 85, man. Because, uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's what's led to to this. I mean, um, and we're recording this in, in March. We're heavy towards the end of March. And I put out an episode more and on, on an average of more than one episode per day this month. Just that's cranking incredible. the stuff out, just putting the work together. And really, when people are like, how are you doing this? I was like, I'm running off of... One is like, I've been listening to a lot of, uh, I think it was Benny the Butcher and that J. Cole joint. Uh, I think it's oh my like, God. yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just like, yeah, I want my respect. I was like, I want what's mine. And just mm-hmm. really being on that. And um, just like, I'm, I'm running off of uh, spite and ambition. And it's just like, this that. is just what it is. It's just what it is. And that's what we're doing. Um, but with that being said, um, I want to thank you for coming on to this podcast. And two, I want to invite and encourage you to tell the fine folks where to check you out, social media, all of that good stuff. Plug, plug, plug away. 100%. Thank you for having me, first of all. And I want to say this is, I've been rapping for 20 years. This is the best interview I've ever had with anyone's ever doing me. You are exceptional. So thank you, first and foremost. Um, the things I can plug, uh, I'm not Champagne Poppy, so MC Bravado everywhere. <laughs> M-C-B-R-A-V-A-D-O. Um, Beats Not Bullets. Uh, we really are doing some major things, and that's going to continue to be uh, a force. Um, you know, we've had Rolling Stone feature. We've had a lot of press. We've taken it to South By. We're, we're elevating this for for our kids and we're trying to take the program to a place where we can really give them funding once they graduate to do projects and to really connect these worlds. And, you know, idle hands in this city are, are where a lot of the crime comes from, you know, that. Mm-hmm. And so we want to give them all the opportunities and resources possible and to continue to grow that program. And one way I'm doing that is, um, April 22nd, uh, Metro gallery, uh, fundraising show, my first local show in two years, um, get the tickets online, my Facebook, I'll, I'll have that on my IG, all that. Um, but, and some of the kids are going to get to come up and rock too. I got a great lineup. Um, but that's, yeah, bro. Elevating all of this and elevating beats, not bullets is, is everything. And we're going to, we're going to do it, bro. And people have, have said to me, I'm not going to lie. They've been like, Oh, why don't you move to New York? Why don't you move to Los Angeles? I'm like, this city embraced me during a time that I really needed it. And like, I want to build something here. I think, I think it's, I don't want to call it the easy route because it's competitive in both those places, but like, it'd be way more powerful to build, to keep that, you know, get that nonprofit where it needs to go. Thanks to Ogun, thanks to, to Brandon and everybody involved. But then beyond that, to build our label, label necklace to a point where we're really a force to be reckoned with kind of like a rhyme sayers or, or what, what tech nine did with strange, like yeah. just an independent juggernaut. Like that's, that's where my head is at and I want to do that in Baltimore. So again, uh, thank you, bro. So much. Thank you. <laughs> this has been great. So, um, again, thank you to MC Bravado for coming onto the podcast. And I am Rob Lee saying that there's art in and around Baltimore. You just got to look for it. <laughs> <laughs>